I am Kevin. I am Giovanna. I am adventurous. I am dreamer. I am creative. I am wine. I am dance. I am entrepreneur. I am musician. I am privileged. I am activist. I I am am podcast. Learning. Growing. Inspiring. Welcome back to the I Am The Band series of the I Am Podcast. We are so excited today because our guest is a classically trained pianist and has spent a lifetime honing the skills that makes her one of the music industry's most versatile and sought-after artists. She has performed with and produced for esteemed artists such as Stevie Wonder, Herbie Hancock, Prince, Tom Jones, Carlos Santana, Boys to Men, George Benson, Nancy Wilson, Michael Jackson, Sheena Easton, I mean, just to name a few. Wow. Right? An award-winning composer and songwriter, she has performed with and composed works for philharmonic orchestras, film, and television. She constantly receives requests to sample her music, one of the most notable uses being Will Smith's Men in Black, which samples her 1982 Grammy-nominated recording, Forget-Me-Nots. As an advocate for music education, she holds the position of Ambassador of Artistry and Education at the Berklee College of Music, as well as the chair of the popular music program at USC's Thornton School of Music. She holds an honorary doctorate from Boston's Berklee College of Music for her outstanding contribution to music and culture. We are honored and thrilled to welcome recording artist, composer, pianist, songwriter, musical director, music educator, and trailblazer, Patrice <laughs> Russian. Yes. <laughs> what Ooh. an intro. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank welcome. you. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here. I am oh, just over Glad the to be here. <laughs> so we want to start just by getting you to tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you are? What were your beginnings? What were your influences? And I know it's going to be an inspiring story, so we just want to hear a little bit about who is Patrice and how'd you get to where you are. <laughs> wow. Well, I uh, I am from Los Angeles. I'm an LA native. There's six years difference between my younger sister and I. So I, my, with both my parents working, I was in a nursery school program, and it actually was the teacher there at Mary Clay Nursery School, Mary Clay, and she during the day when we would have activities. You know, the sandbox, the painting, mm-hmm. you know, running around the room, dancing to music. Whenever we would do anything that was musical, that's when I would kind of perk up, I guess. Mm. You know, I was real small as a kid and kind of shy. So that was a sign for her to kind of pay attention to, wow, whenever there's musical activity, Patrice seems to be into that. Well, she told my parents about it. They said, well, that's nice. You know, what do we, what do, we do about it? <laughs> now, this is where, you know... The, the the educators out there, well, sometimes you don't know how they are viewing your kids, but they're really observing your kids in ways that as parents, sometimes we cannot or that we don't pay attention to in the, quite the same way. Yeah. But she was up on this program. Mary Clay was up on this program that was happening at the University of Southern California, USC. Mm. It was a graduate course for students who were getting you know, graduate degrees in music education. Ah. And this class was for little kids, like three, four, five years old, for them to develop theories about if these young kids who seem to just enter the planet with a certain musical aptitude, if they were all hearing the same things, if they were all reacting to music in the same way. It was just developing. This was early on for the, in the United States. This was early on in that whole attitude about early childhood development and how certain kinds of aptitudes were immediate 
and how you could use them to help kids through their studies. Now, that's very common now. You know, you have all of these child methods, Suzuki and stuff like that, where kids very young learn to play music as a matter or, or something like that or uh-huh. introduced to the arts. But this was new here at that time. We're talking early 60s. So I was in this program and we were running around a room dancing and waving scarves and stuff. And <laughs> they would lay they would lay on us this terminology on child's terms to be able to talk about the music. Well, if that's going to be a walking note, if we go twice as fast, that's running notes. And if you hear the music go twice as fast, that's what you need to do. And so our bodies were reacting to the music. So uh, we had walking notes brilliant. and we had running notes and we had skipping notes right. and we had triple it, triple it, triple And then they would observe the kids and, and work out these ideas about how you could be introducing the concepts, large concepts of music in terms that the kids could converse so that as students, these music ed majors would develop theories about how to teach young kids. Wow. I went through this program. It was an entire preparatory program. Started with this class that I just mentioned called, and that was called Eurythmics. And then you were introduced to an instrument around five years old. Wow. And the piano was kind of chosen for me. Huh. Mm okay (laughs) so I went to a piano lesson from every week from five years old until I was 17 going through this program as you evolve through this program they also started introducing theory and things like that I met world-class pianist and jazz composer uh, you know not jazz composer composer Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Childs we met Mm. when we were about 12 and 14 years old he was part of the same program he'd be walking out I'd be walking in oh You know, it'd be these people, Michael Tilson Thomas and I had the same piano teacher. Wow. All these different people were walking in and out of this program that is was part of USC's preparatory department. Later in later years, the uh, it became the Coburn School, which is downtown L.A., right across the street from the uh, Disney Hall. Of course. It's still there yeah. and they do the same types of the things. The Juilliard of so the anyway. West. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They call yes. it the Juilliard of the West, right? <laughs> the Juilliard of the West. So I was in this program from, you know, three until I was 17. But along the way, I'm also attending L.A. public schools, which had music at the time. Thank you very much. Yeah. And in so having that, I also was introduced to band and orchestral music. Funny story, you know, I, I was, you know, you're a little kids, you have this love, this love-hate with having to practice your instrument. You love when people love the fact that you can play, but you hate to practice. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I might still have so my that. parents, you know, my parents were, were really, really smart people. And they they said, well, maybe the problem is you're playing all by yourself all the time. You know, piano, you play alone. Mm. And I was like, yeah, all the cool kids have a case. <laughs> they carry back in school cases and stuff. And I don't have a case. Mm. Yeah. So at about 13, 12, 13, I learned to play the flute. And I got really good. And it changed my it changed everything for me because suddenly I'm a part, I'm a I'm a part of something larger in an orchestra or band. And the sound, you know, in an orchestra, the flutes sit right in the middle of all this beautiful sound. And you have rest, and then you come in, and then you rest. And then you come in, you know, piano, you playing the whole time, right. you know, you get no rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this now changed my life. I get to listen to the violins and listen 
to how the cello works and what's going on with this and that. And this just changed my piano playing also. It became much more focused on register and 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 an idea of the nuances that are just easier to hear inside of an ensemble. And then I love the idea of being a part of something as a team making an experience, making music. And that really was the start of my whole composition arranging awareness. Mm-hmm. Segue from community orchestras and bands in public school and all of this to my high school experience. I went to Locke High School in the People's Republic of Watts <laughs> in, Los An- in Los Angeles. Yes. And at that time, Reggie Andrews was starting his first years of teaching. And there were two other teachers there, Donald Dustin and Frank Harris, who always expected more Mm. of the students and always wanted them to think in terms of there's more. Mm. And this was a very important consciousness for us to have Mm -hmm. in an all black high school post Watts riots where the idea was that my parents, you know, our parents had come with an idea of, of excellence and we couldn't let it, we couldn't let that dissuade us from being as good as we could possibly be. Mm. That band and that orchestra in that school was a priority because Mm. if you weren't in sport and you were in music or in drama or something that allowed for you to focus on something that is larger than yourself, and that's not to take anything away from the academics by any means, but in the arts, it's, it's very much more forward that there's an effort that is being made to the the, the main, the larger picture than just your own excellence. It calls for personal responsibility, but also calls to responsibility to the collective. And that idea, my entire high school experience, which also included knowing a bit about our history, knowing a bit about our music, learning social graces through understanding that our people had contributed a lot that was maybe not in the books yet. Mm. Maybe it was kind of left out. Mm. Maybe it wasn't talked about quite as much. And yet knowing that and knowing that we were standing on those kinds of shoulders in something that we could relate to at that point as artists, as as musicians, gave us a sort of a psyche that kept each of us driving each other further. Yes. So my Mm -hmm. classmates were Indugu Chancellor, Gerald Albright. Wow. Wow. uh, The guys who now play with Earth, Wind & Fire. Ray Brown, who formerly played with Earth, Wind & Fire, is now their tour manager. Gary Bias, who still plays with them. In fact, Earth, Wind & Fire played my high school prom. What? No way! Fun fact. (laughs) Watch this. (laughs) So we're at this high school, right? Lock High. Uh Earth, Wind & Fire at that time is an up-and-coming band. Man. Hmm. Needed a place to rehearse. They knew Reggie. Reggie said, well, after hours, why don't you come over to the multi-purpose room and rehearse, and I'll get the kids to help to carry in some of your gear and set up and everything. So that's what the band would do. We help them put their gear up and everything. And then we watch them rehearse. <gasps> wow. What? And then they couldn't pay us. You know, they couldn't pay the school. Say, well, man, yeah. thank you for giving us these weeks of rehearsal time. So we don't have any money. And he says, well, who do you, what do you want to do? He says, well, are the kids having some kind of thing where the kids who are graduating oh are having some gosh. kind of party or something? Yeah, they're having the prom. Said, <laughs> oh, no. so, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That was my prom, right? <laughs> you win prom forever and ever and ever. <laughs> That's amazing. So then, and, and ironically, and this was so great to observe, that summer, they blew up. 
right after that, mm. Mighty Mighty came out and it was all over. Mm. So to see to so to see that work ethic mm-hmm. right. and to see how that worth ethic turned into something through service. Ooh, through service. service. Yes. Amazing. Yes. yes. That was a huge lesson. And that's what, but this is before jazz was institutionalized and coming to schools and stuff. This was just Reggie helping friends mm. who helped friends who helped friends. Wow. All kind of people came through. All kinds of people. Lenny White, Herbie Hancock. All these people mm. came through because Reggie would go to the clubs and get them to come in to talk to us. This is how we met Ernie Watts. This mm. is how we met all of these great luminaries that influenced us in terms of the music. Now, all the time, I'm still going to my classical piano lesson once a week. Oh, my gosh. So you're just immersed in both worlds. So I'm, like I'm just immersed, immersed in both worlds. And it is crazy. And it is it is wonderful because it gave me an opportunity to really find out what I wanted to do. Mm. And while I wasn't as interested at that time in being a performer, per se, mm. it allowed for me to see the the, the joy in in music creation mm-hmm. yes. and the power of music. So wherever you're going to land inside of anything that has to do with offering people something and music is, 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 is something that most people like, boy, it, it becomes really important then to really be on your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that was the start of it. And then I, you know, I had many more opportunities post graduation from high school and then going on to USC for college. I was a music ed major. They, this was before they even had a jazz major. Wow. They didn't have a jazz major when I was going there, and they certainly didn't have popular music. Mm-hmm. So I was a music ed major with a minor in classical piano with the intention of doing neither one. <laughs> <laughs> because by this time, I had become really enthralled with the music of film and television. Mm-hmm. Huh. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write for film and TV music. I wanted to do that. I love the fact that you stopped right here because this whole time I've been trying to figure out and I'm getting pieces of it now. What made that switch for you? Because you just don't hear and you. We, I hope we hear more women, young, you know, girls walking around talking about I want to do TV and film. And there were no examples there, but there was something I want to hear what it was like. Where, where did that come from? Well, I think that, first of all, my parents were super, 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 super supportive. What they their criteria was whatever you're going to do, you need to be really good at it Mm -hmm. and you need to love it. Mm. Yes. You know, and that was their criteria. Mm -hmm. Prove that you're good at it. Prove that you love it. We will support you. And they did Uh, because they didn't know anything about the whole idea of being in music, let alone any part of the entertainment business was completely foreign to them, mm. completely foreign mm. to them. So they were taking that leap of faith on the basis of, of just being really good at it. So that was one thing. The other thing was that my high school experience, and this goes to show you how formative those years are, my high school experience had introduced me to the idea that there were no limitations. Mm-hmm. Wow. We were playing music that was so far over our heads, it was crazy. We were playing charts from 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 Quincy Jones, Thad Jones, Gerald Wilson. We had no idea the depth of what was happening. We were just trying to understand that that's the goal and that's where we got to go. And we may as well head there right now. And we supported each other in terms of practicing and understanding stuff 
you know, uh, about all the different forms of the music, particularly black music mm. that had influenced all the rest of the music that was that was out there. We were exposed to classical music. We went to hear the L.A. field. But at the same time that we went to hear the L.A. field, it was an opposite field trip to go over to the Lighthouse mm. or concerts by the sea, <laughs> the jazz club, <laughs> yeah. to be able to hear and see all kinds of musicians. Amazing. Musicians who worked in the studios, musicians who taught, musicians who played in the clubs and, and toured, musicians who played on film and TV. Music. Yeah. There were just all of these careers and career objectives that said excellence. Excellence, excellence. So that was the the thing. So y'all was, you know, I was never put in a position where people would tell me that I can't do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They would say you need to prepare because that's the bar. You don't hit that bar, mm -hmm. can't help you. Yeah, but if yeah. you're going for that bar, and that's what it was. And so I was just naive enough, perhaps, or <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I don't know that I was all that brave. Mm -hmm. right. But I was naive enough, if you will. To think that if I did my work, mm -hmm. that I would be that it would be possible for me to do whatever I wanted to do. Right. And uh, people would reinforce that all the time. Mm. They would say, you're going to have to be really, really, really good. Mm. And, you know, I would hear that like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And I would just keep going and yeah. keep going. So so it, it wasn't until I was a professional, you know, working and writing for film and TV, actually. That somebody introduced the idea of, well, you can't do that. Mm. And, you know, by that time, it's too late. Right. Yeah. You, you can't, you <laughs> can't unring the bell. you like, there's so, many fire, so much fire behind me. I, you just got to. Oh, you can't, you know, you, the cat is out of the bag yeah. now. So you don't, you don't want me to do something real cool? Uh, tell me I can't do it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be it. <laughs> the accessibility mm. and the expectation. I mean, those, you set those two. And, and yeah, I really do believe mm -hmm. that it's. It's really giving the opportunity and then the level mm -hmm. of expectation. Children will always rise to the yeah. level of expectation. And that exposure, so. I mean, that amount of exposure, I just kept thinking, oh, new world. I was thinking about all this. <laughs> there was just so much. I can just imagine. Like you said, you could see every facet of it. So many times you only see one little narrow thing and think, okay, well, I, well maybe I don't really feel that. I feel music, but I can't do that. But you, if you really get to see the full spectrum, then you can really see where you could you fit within the picture. Mm, and that right, was yeah. that it, was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that was very, very important. And it was a game changer for so many of us, because while you may not initially get to do the thing that you are aspiring to do, there's 15 other things that will lead you, lead you to that yeah. same place. Mm -hmm. yep. And to have multiple options of how you get where you're trying to go mm. is what it's all about. It's a beautiful mm. thing. Yes. Learning multiple options. Way. You're going to get where you're going to go, mm -hmm. but to have more than one pathway to get there, man, that's a game changer for your for for your head and for your soul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And what mm. now? You said that you picked up the flute because you wanted to play in ensembles, and you're a classically trained pianist. At what point was that crossover? Because I don't know that I've seen you play a concerto, but I have seen you kill those keys on <laughs> everything else. And when you mentioned flute, I saw her face like oh I know my I, that was my instrument. I couldn't march with the cello, yeah. so I picked up the flute. And there you, well, there it is. Exactly. You know, yeah. I couldn't march with the piano, obviously. Yeah, but it took me until <laughs> just recently to cross over into improvising with uh, using the cello in a different way mm -hmm. than what it 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 you know normally. Although now there's no that, normal. That's what I mean when I say that you know my my. My, my piano playing 
And I guess really my musical awareness changed when I was involved from a different perspective, looking through a slightly different lens at music making. Mm. And up to that point, you know, from age five to about 12 or 13, all the music making that I was doing was at the piano and typically in a solo capacity, you know, solo recitals and and all the things that, you know, you practice by yourself, mm. you play by yourself, you perform by yourself. It was a lot of that. And the few times that I did have an opportunity to work maybe inside of uh, like a string trio or something like that, it was rare. It was huh. rare. It didn't happen very often. And still my perspective in terms of ensemble playing, it just took a different, it took a turn when I played, when I played flute. Playing in the orchestra and playing in the band, all kind of band, marching band. Oh, yeah. Yeah concert band you know Locke had a killer band and through from from about uh, 1971 to about 1974 they like ruled you know the LA band scene they used to call us little Gramlin <laughs> and, what was, <laughs> and what was so cool about that was that I was able to write for the marching band because they didn't we didn't want to play stock Marching band arrangements. Oh, wow. So watch this. So the teachers talk about forward thinking, forward thinking, mm -hmm. and not having any limitations with what kids are can possibly do if you set them up and support and offer. Yeah. So we used to go to them and we say, well, you know, can we play some of the stuff that's on the radio? Mm. And they said, well, maybe some of you should write it. Mm. So you know, play. <laughs> I volunteered. I said, well, I would love to write it. So I think the first, my first band arrangement, I think, was Stevie Wonder's Sign, Seal, Deliver. Wow. 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 And then the kids started saying, well, we want to play this, we want to play that. Then I did another one. I did James Brown, Make It Funky. I mean, we had dance routine. <laughs> oh, my God. We had everything. Oh. And, and so once again, even though it was a different, a different activity than one would have thought, this was all the primer for film and television and writing and arranging. Absolutely. This is the primer, you know, to be able to actually do something and hear it come back to me. Mm. Yeah. And then write something else and hear it come back to me. This, in addition to people giving me, a, now when they gave me the score to look at of the jazz arrangement that Gerald Wilson had done, I'm looking at it through different eyes now. Wow. Right. I'm not just seeing the just the notes. I'm understanding how things are put together. So but by the time I formally studied, studied arranging and orchestration, which was later in, 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 in college, not at college, but during those years, I already had a certain sensibility about what, what the music could be and that we could take anything. And if you understood the essence of what the music was, you could, you could do, you could write just about anything. Mm. Yeah, so and that's, yeah. and, and, and an orchestration teacher that I, that I'd had, I remember the first day that I went over to his house. I said, do I need to bring a book? He said, nope. Wow. I said, okay. I still have to this day. He drew pictures. He said, let me tell you how certain instruments work. When he drew the string choir, he drew them with frets on, on, the, on the fingerboard. He drew them with frets. He said, now you relate to the guitar, so I want you to relate to what is happening with string players, with this this fingerboard. There's no frets on it. But if you thought like that, this is what's going on. And then he thought, you know, my eyes are this big. And so he would meet you where you were. Amazing. And then shape that and take you to the next place. 
Game changer. Mm, my goodness. Game changer. Yeah. And in so doing that, he went through the brass choir. He went through the woodwinds that way. Obviously, he went through strings that way. And then he would say, okay, your assignment? Go write something. What? <laughs> Go write. I've just told you how they work. You know how they sound. Go write. Wow. This is like different than, you know, we're going to sit here, we're going to study the range of the instrument from here to here. Yeah. And da, 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 da. Right. So you know, that's a, it's very conceptual. But at the same time, I had these, I'm a music ed major, right? Now I'm going to turn, I'm getting ready to turn lemons into lemonade. <laughs> so I'm sitting in this music ed class and I'm going, man, I don't want to be up in there. Well, I'm not up in here. This has nothing to do with where I want to be. Wow. Watch this. Then the teacher says, today we're going to talk about strings because you might have to teach beginning strings. Hmm. She puts a violin in my hand. <gasps> Next week, she puts a cello in front of me. What? Next week, a viol in front of me. Next week, bass. Now I've got this practical application yes. for the stuff that the man over here is telling me. Hmm. And now I can feel it and hear it for myself. Can I really play? No. <laughs> but the idea and the sensation of what it feels like yeah. changes the way you write. Hmm. Because you get a perspective that allows you to feel what you're writing almost as if you were playing it. And then when it's in the hands of somebody who plays the instrument and knows what they're doing. Oh, man. Hmm. So... Yeah. It's been, the whole that whole thing of the um, idea of conceptual knowledge and transferable knowledge has yes. really become a foundation today of my, of my of my whole teaching style. Oh, That's man. beautiful! I know. I wish I would have. It's in your body. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind because it's almost like that whole th the the idea of applied theory. And I took those mm -hmm. theory lessons, right? Mm -hmm. I, I sat in those classes, but it did not sink in until I, I did a, 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 a quick uh, thing with a with the Eugene Friesen who teaches out at the Berkeley College of Music. And it was mm -hmm. the first time that all of this theory that I was reading about what he was asking me to apply it to my instrument. And it blew my mind because you just look at music differently. You you understand it's almost like your eyes are opened, you know, like you could hear yeah. it and you could you could feel it. But when you could actually see it, it's all of the senses. All of a sudden, everything came together. And I I'm obviously I'm not in school now, but I really hope and just it gives me so much hope hearing that this is what's happening now in those classrooms. And because it does, I, I'm amazed today how you find these kids. These kids are coming up and he says, I play bass, but he's also just as proficient on the piano or on the drums. And, and it's because they're sort of that limitless. They're they're giving the opportunity to to go ahead and just try it. Give it a shot. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. it makes such a big difference. Yeah, it's great to hear you say that. I picked up guitar a few years ago, but there was this incredible book by Victor Wooten mm -hmm. called The Music Lesson. And I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going to listen to this thing and he's going to start to tell me how he applies and how he plays his bass. You know? And the next thing I know is I'm listening to this thing. He opens up a whole new world, much like you're talking about, about the way we really should be addressing music. He doesn't go into any lessons. It's this really interesting story. But his foundation being, you know, it's music is a language. Much like that's exactly yeah, right. we are as kids. And when when a kid, you know, your child starts talking, you don't say, oh, wait, baby, you've got to wait until you get to advanced class before you can talk to mommy because <laughs> mommy is really, you know, advanced professional. So you can keep talking, you know, but that's exactly. what we do with music, right? That you can only go so far. But he's saying, no, if you can just open that up and let the kids see, let them hear everything, let them experience mm -hmm. it, let them try playing it. And then it will all those other things will come along as they start to you know play it and it's such a, an incredible it's exciting to hear that 
But yeah, yeah. The, the 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 way that traditional you know education has gone is just like you could see why so many kids get frustrated and they can't. They're like, just give it this. Put my hands on it. I'm yeah. tired of looking at this thing, the you know. Role and that was fantastic. So... You know, the teacher said, go write something. It's amazing. Well, a lot of what a lot of what we're talking about is still, you know, it's not applied. I think I think you know, I would say that of in, in to my knowledge, Berkeley was probably Berkeley School of Music, College of Music was probably the first one to realize that you know every kid is not going to check the classical box. Yep, mm-hmm. that that's what mm-hmm. they want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. That box has expanded the commer- the 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 idea of 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 commercial music and the use of commercial music doesn't limit you to playing rock or R and B or anything like that. Commercial um, implies that there's all of these different things that are part of a musical language that people can relate to, Absolutely. whether they're relating to it in conjunction with a film or relating to it in conjunction with uh, an arrangement, you know, for a dance tune mm. or whatever is irrelevant. Mm. The idea is that the, the, that the that language is expansive and continuing to expand and incorporates a lot of other music, ethnic musics, mm. all kinds of stuff. Mm. And it's a, it's a living art. Well, so should be how it's taught. And that's where we have the rub mm. because yes. the, we do have a long tradition of music being taught a particular way. Yes. Mm-hmm. And especially in higher education, that's when you really see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you see kids that are about to try to embark on a career, some of whom have never played any other music other than that that prepares them to go into an orchestra. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not putting that down. But mm-hmm. there's so many dedicated, amazing, talented people where that's not their focus or their desire. Right. Yeah. And to be able to open the door so that everybody has access to certain kinds of information and those who want to go a particular way still have, as I said, multiple paths to get there. And that we break down these walls of anything having to be good, better or, or best and, and just be inclusive mm-hmm. of the language of making music in whatever capacity you want to. But to have the understanding of what that is. That's a relatively new concept yeah. in terms of teaching. And it is definitely changing the landscape of the kinds of young musicians. The 21st century musician is a musician who can weep at Brahms, James Brown, and hip-hop at the same time. Yes. <laughs> wow. I know. Oh, man. I love it. It's so true. So, you know, that's, that's what's up. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 and what you find out is that the generation, my generation, your generation, we're practitioners. And it turns out that the practitioners who have that awareness are the best teachers for this. Mm-hmm. Not those that have only been in the classroom and never never done it. Of course. Neither, and, and you can't always count on the ones who have been out there knowing how to teach. So that combination is, is still in play. But we are educating another generation of people who will have both because that's what it's going to take to keep the music growing yeah. all of it lifting yeah. those limitations yeah. absolutely Ooh, yeah it's yeah. amazing this is it's, awesome yeah so as a non-musician of the group <laughs> you are so this is going over my head but I love, no um i i read a little fun fact about you that you appeared on soul train once as a dancer <laughs> what? yeah and that it, and i read that you love to dance do you still love to dance has that influenced oh, your music at all well, if I had not, I probably, if I had not been, a, you know, chosen music, I would have tried to go into dancing. But, but, but I love it. Form, formal dancing, I, I wasn't that great. Did you train at all? 
No, no, she just because I figured out. I, I figured out early on. I said, "Oh, I'm not good at that." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. <laughs> yeah. You, okay. Soul Train started in Chicago, and when they caught on, and they and I guess Don Cornelius was going to expand, expand the viewing audience by being able to come to Hollywood to be able to film in Hollywood and expand to a national market. So he made all around to the, the various parks in the neighborhood so that he could tell kids about this program called Soul Train, where you would come on and you would dance and they would give you a golden bird fried chicken dinner and a Coke. And sounded, hey, sounded good to me, you know. I mean, this was, you know, he would go to the recreation centers and stuff like that, you know, to try to. And so he says, we'll pick you up in a bus. We'll take you over to, at that time, it was Channel 11, KTTV. We'll pick you up. You guys will dance to bring a change of clothes so you can wear one clothes for one show and another clothes. And then we'll bring you back. So this went on this all that summer. Well, by the time, you know, and it caught on just like that. Anyway, I was on maybe the first couple of shows. Then I went back. When, you know, when I, I could drive every, you know, then people just started driving, you know, to, to the set, you know, they didn't come to pick us up anymore. They would let us know when they were going to be filming. And, and it was a volunteer thing. If you want to come down, we'd love to have you. And you'd go down and you would do your, your, your two shows and you'd see, it, you know, all, how all of that worked. And, you know, you would get your di chicken dinner and go home. I did quite a few of them. I did maybe about four or five of them. Yeah, I performed with a few artists on Soul Train in, in early 2000s. Fried chicken. That's so good. Oh, they still doing that. Uh, yeah, they were still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but then, years later, then, then so you can imagine, you know, what a, what a trip it was for me and for Don Cornelius, too, because mm -hmm. he told me later for me to be on An that artist. show as a guest yes. in the 80s, Absolutely. you know, was like really like coming full circle. It was really, it. it was really a trip. <laughs> Speaking of that, and just for obviously not just Don Cornelius, but in talking about also the limitations, being that you are a woman and a black woman in in this whole industry, how, I mean, did you feel limitations in that way? I mean, there's for me, you're a trailblazer. I I have not worked under any other female band leaders, and mm -hmm. in so so for me, I don't I. I think it's 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 sad that there aren't more. And is it because the opportunity is not given? I mean, I'm sure they're out there. What's your experience there? And how do you see it before and after, like your trajectory standing on mm -hmm. both ends of it now? Well, I certainly didn't see very many. I mean, I worked I worked with a lady named Melba Liston who had this was but this was towards the end of her career, but she had a big band. Melba Liston was an amazing jazz arranger. Mm. All of her peers, her male peers, they all knew it too. But there were so many limits in then, but I knew that the possibility was there for, for women to do stuff. So that was the first thing that I was never I was never stopped. Mm. I was never told, you can't play this, you can't do that, da, 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 da. It was years and years before anybody told me that. And like I said, it was way too late after that. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but the idea was you can, but you but but it was also just imperative that, you know, you're very good. I'm sorry, but the bar for female musicians, musical, you know, instrumentalists, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was low. Yeah. It was so low. Mm -hmm that the expectation just didn't seem to be there 
that there was any real there there mm -hmm. with their level of seriousness, seriousness nor their level of competence. Mm. So I just refused to operate from that standpoint of their limitations. Right. I just refused. I just couldn't do it. I was I was too into the music. I had amazing friends who were also excellent, male and female. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't see myself falling below or being within what was the standard. Mm -hmm. And I thought that from the standpoint of instrumentalists, particularly that there, that there was an opportunity. So, you know, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but being female in that way was an advantage because all I had to do was do, be able to do it a little bit. And suddenly, Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> and you know, I wasn't trying to play to that. Mm -hmm. Right. But that worked to my advantage. Hmm. That's a very interesting. Yeah. That point. worked to my advantage. It worked super to my advantage because I was better than just that. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so it was like, really get some attention. Well, if you're going to give me that kind of attention, then I really have to, I really have to meet that, and 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 go even beyond that. And that was the way I kept my own. Uh, aspirations and 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 feelings about what it was that was important to me mm -hmm. moving forward. I did not get hung up in what everybody else thought because I know man the standard is so gone going low. You don't you know <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was You're always right. going for somebody my my own bar, which was very much mm -hmm. higher than that 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 other bar. And mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to do that in every aspect that I could. I wanted to be we were all training and Giovanna, you'll relate to this. We were all training to be so bad we could play with anybody. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to have my own band. I didn't necessarily want to have my own group. I didn't need all that. I wanted to be able to play with Michael Jackson and Frank Sinatra. I wanted to play with Quincy Jones. And I wanted to get up in front of the L.A. Phil. I wanted to do all of that. Love it. And I just wanted to be prepared to be able to handle it should those musical uh, uh, needs of musical expression come my way and they did and they did thank you so much for tuning into this I Am podcast series entitled I Am The Band with the incomparable Patrice Russian make sure to subscribe and tune in for part two next week we love you so much take care thank you for listening interested in starting your own podcast visit us at IamMusicGroup.com dot